सहनावत सहनो घनत सह वीर्यंकवाहै तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तु मिद्विषा वहै ओ Open the page, what is twenty-nine or other chapter sixteen? So let's read the first three verses. Sri Bhagavan Vacha. अभयम सत्व संशुद्धि ज्ञान योग व्यवस्थिति दानम दमश्च यज्ञश्च स्वाध्यायस्तप आर्जव अहिंसा सत्यमक्रोध त्यागशातिरपैशुन दया भूतेश्वलोलुपल तेज क्षमाधृतिशौच अद्रोहो नातिमानिता अभिजात भारत दीज आर द्वालिटीज ट्रेड्स दैट वन हेज ब्रॉट विद वन सेल्फ वेन वन इज बॉर्न विद दिवाइन वेल्थ or when a person cultivates deliberate divine wealth then these traits develop <coughs> meaning thereby that we should deliberately and consciously cultivate these traits in us as i said yesterday and as lord krishna also will say subsequently daivi sampad vimokshaya that when we have this divine traits it is conducive to moksha dibandhaya asuri mata on the other hand the opposite of this will be called the asuri or the the demoniac tendencies which are conducive to bondage so if you want freedom in life and who doesn't want freedom that's what you even wants moksha means freedom freedom from sorrow freedom from a sense of limitation and that freedom each one wants in fact we are constantly striving for that freedom only in whatever we do the ultimate agenda is so that we become free So here now, Bhagavad Gita teaches how we can conduct ourselves 
or how we can train ourselves, how we can educate our mind, so that we progressively become free. Meaning that the freedom does not lie outside of ourselves, freedom is within ourselves, and the bondage also is within ourselves. There is a verse which says, Mane eva manushyanam karanam bandhamokshayoho. It is the mind of the human being which is the cause of bondage as well as liberation. And therefore the mind that is characterized by or that possesses what is called the divine traits is a mind that enjoys freedom. On the other hand, mind that is infested by the opposite demoniac tendencies is a mind that is in bondage. So whether I enjoy freedom or whether I feel bound or limited has nothing to do with what is outside of myself. Meaning, a person can be in prison and still can be free if the person possesses these divine traits and someone else can be in a palace and still be bound if the mind is under the sway of the demoniac tendencies. As simple as this. Therefore, for an intelligent person who understands this, the priority will be to constantly cultivate the divine traits. We can make every situation an occasion for cultivating divine trait. We can make every situation an occasion of giving up the demoniac traits. We said yesterday that our nature inherently is divine. <coughs> and the so-called demoniac tendencies are not, is not our nature. But on account of unintelligent living, on account of the false notions, we have the false values and false priorities. In our life, we have given importance to things that do not deserve that kind of importance. And at the same token, we have devalued something which are very valuable. That is unintelligent living. So many people compromise the means for the sake of the end. The end, such as wealth or name or fame or prosperity, is so important. Let me subsequently describe right here. That in the process of achieving those ends, they sacrifice, compromise, or violate the values such as non-violence, truthfulness, honesty, they are compromised. So one does get what you may call the material wealth, but then one loses the spiritual wealth. Two kinds of wealth we have in our life, material wealth and spiritual wealth. Ideally you can have both, meaning that spiritual wealth 
or divine wealth is not opposed to material wealth. So don't think that people who enjoy this divine traits are necessarily unsuccessful or they are good for nothing. No. In fact, in our opinion, these people are more likely to be efficient because they enjoy a mind which has clarity. When you have the sattvic tendencies, when mind is sattvic or clear, then our perception also is clear, our judgment also is clear, and therefore the choices that you make are more likely to be proper choices. Where the person who is under the sway of these demoniac tendencies such as lust, anger, greed, jealousy, arrogance, is more likely to make mistakes because he is more likely to react to situations. Therefore, cultivating these tendencies is conducive to even material prosperity also. But it is possible that if you do not have in a destiny a great material prosperity, you may not get it. You can, meaning that whether we achieve material prosperity or not is not totally in our hands. It depends upon many factors which are beyond our control. And therefore, in spite of making sincere and appropriate efforts, we may not necessarily be successful in achieving material prosperity. In terms of wealth, or name, or fame, or recognition, is possible. However, when it comes to the spiritual prosperity, when it comes to this accumulating divine wealth, it is totally under our control. Meaning that, we are totally in control of the situation when it comes to acquiring, accumulating the divine tendencies. And the degree of the happiness that I enjoy purely depends upon the degree of the divine tendencies or spiritual wealth which I have accumulated. Because it is the mind that is our instrument for enjoying or experiencing anything. People give a great deal of importance to the means of enjoyment. But sometimes they do not realize that you cannot be happy merely by means of enjoyment that you have accumulated around yourself. You also require a capacity of enjoyment. And that capacity is, we gain that capacity when we can accumulate or cultivate this divine wealth. And if you have the capacity of enjoyment, you can be happy even without any means of enjoyment also. Because when explaining that, ultimately happiness is the nature of the self. Whenever a moment when you're happy, even though it appears as though I'm enjoying music or some external thing, in fact, at that time, I'm only enjoying myself. And therefore, if these divine traits are there, that's all you need for 
a happy or a fulfilling life. Therefore, it makes sense, it is practical or pragmatic that we pay more attention in cultivating these traits. Particularly when there is a conflict between the two kinds of values. One are these values given to us, namely non-violent, sahimsa, satyam, the truthfulness. On the other hand, there are the values for the prosperity or name and fame and recognition. When there is conflict, meaning that when you make a choice of one or the other, if both of them come together, you have the best of both. But if you have to choose between one of them because they are not in certain conditions, you find that they are not compatible to each other, then intelligent living will require that I should choose the divine wealth, the uh, the the avi sampat or the spiritual wealth in favor of the material wealth. Let me make that choice. <coughs> For that in fact these values are given to us. And therefore this is it is important that we understand these values and we can practice the value only when a value is valuable to us. That is why we discuss this, that these values are very valuable because they assure us of happiness and a sense of fulfillment. When my mind enjoys the traits, then I find myself happy or comfortable with myself. On the other hand, when my mind has the opposite traits, namely cruelty, anger, jealousy, pride, arrogance, then I am not comfortable with my own self. I am not happy with myself. So every time I violate a value, I am in fact violating my own self because all the values, basic, all these values basically represent the nature of the self. Therefore, when I deliberately and consciously practice any one of these values, I am making a choice of creating a harmony within myself. On the other hand, when I violate these values, then I am myself creating a disharmony within myself. And when there is disharmony, there cannot be peace, there cannot be happiness. Lord Krishna says in second chapter, how can a person who does not enjoy internal peace, how can he be happy? Therefore, happiness means being at peace with myself. And more of these values I have, more I am at peace with myself. If this equation is understood by us, then these values become valuable to us. And then alone, we will have the motivation to choose them whenever there is a conflict between the spiritual values and the material values. There is no conflict, enjoy both. 
there's a conflict, that is when we are going to require a conviction. Because it is not easy to let go of the temptation for the material gain. Because there is greed, temptation, those things are there in me. And they generally try to pressurize me to choose the, those material ends. At that time, it is going to require a strong conviction on my part to make a choice in favor of the spiritual or the divine values. I can do that when I understand how valuable these values are. In fact, these alone are valuable. Other things are valuable because I have imposed the value upon them. These are truly valuable. <coughs> so yesterday, we started a discussion with Abhayam. Freedom from fear or fearlessness. And we said that there is fear whenever there is attachment. Because attachment causes fear on account of a possibility of separation from the object of attachment. What is meant by attachment? When I'm attached to something or somebody, that something or somebody is very important to me because my comfort or security or happiness depends upon that, I think. When I look upon something or somebody as a source of comfort or happiness or security, then that something or somebody becomes important to me because primarily it is happiness that is important to me. But when I look upon something or somebody as a, as a cause of happiness, that becomes important to me. This is because I do not realize that nothing in the creation can really give me happiness or security. Happiness or security or comfort has, has to be discovered from my own self. But that is the very source of comfort and happiness. Therefore, to look upon something or somebody as a source of comfort or security is a, a, a false perception. And that's what causes attachment. And when there is attachment, I know very well that whenever there is association, there is going to be disassociation also. When there is sanyoga, there is going to be viyoga also. I know that. Therefore, there is always fear. In the mind, there is always fear. More the attachments, more the fear is. Therefore, to become free from fear, it is necessary to recognize the nature of attachment. Recognize how these attachments are on account of a wrong value that I am assigning to something. And by understanding things for what they are, giving them the value that they deserve, not more, not less, I am objective. The objectivity is the way of becoming free from attachment. <coughs> objectivity also is called vairagya. Vairagya mevabhayam. So Bharatari says that in vairagya or dispassion, there is freedom from fear. 
Because there is fear of many things. Of course, there is fear of death. That's an important thing also. Fear of death. And death will come God knows when. But the fear lasts for the whole life. There, and there is also a fear of the uncertain, fear of the unknown, future. There is fear as far as the anxiety about the future because I do not know what the future will bring. Death also is a future event. About that, all we can say is, we should prepare our mind to be able to greet the future as it comes. What I cannot control, God gave me the serenity to accept gracefully what I cannot control. And everything in future is like that because I do not know what the future, what the next moment is. When he's talking about death of somebody else, and that's when himself can die, you know, because you don't know. when. And therefore, it will happen. A preparedness to accept the future as it comes. Because I cannot control it. And therefore, what we call prasad buddhi, a grace for acceptance. Or whatever comes is fine. Chatasi dhruvam ruttihu. Death is certain for the one who is born. And nobody can avoid. At the same time, Bhagavad Gita teaches that it is the body that dies, the self never dies. And therefore, who am I grieving for? And usually, it is my own death that is most of greatest concern to me. I should remind myself that self or the Atma never dies. And the body is perishable, it will die. We should take care of the body. We should not invite death, I'm not suggesting that we should invite death. We should be careless, we should ignore, no, take care of the body, and enjoy life. So while enjoying life, be ready that the life is not eternal, it is going to end someday. Swamiji is telling a story about one old Mahatma. He had several disciples. He was living in Himalayas in Uttarakashi, which is a tough place to live. He was not doing well, he was old. And so the disciples, one of the disciples requested, Mahara Swamiji, why not we go to Delhi? We can admit you to a good hospital where you can be properly treated. So the old Mahatma told a story. So suppose, because the disciple also is a Swami. Guru also is a Swami, disciple also is a Swami. So Guru tells the disciple. Suppose you are conducting a satsang. Number of people are sitting there. And you talk to them, meet with them. There's an old person who is also part of that group who is sitting in a corner away from everybody waiting for his turn. You've seen that old person waiting for the turn. 
No, when you are done with all the other people, what will you do? Will you entertain that old person or not? Will you not see him also? Or will you walk away, leaving him there? So the disciple Swami says, no, no, I'll certainly will talk to him, take care of him. So the Guru says, you know, similarly, in our life, so many things we do, we are so busy dealing with so many things, then old person who comes when we are born, and that is death, is waiting out there, seeking my attention. So when I'm done with everything else, should I not also entertain him? That Swami refused to go down. He did not go. He says, well, the body is dilapidated, the body is already very uh, weak and dilapidated. What's the use of stretching? Let the death come. I mean, we have not become those kind of things, but I'm just telling you, what kind of attitude one can have of gracefully accepting the realities of life. We are always afraid of the unpleasant. The reason why the future causes anxiety is because I'm afraid that the future may bring the unpleasant. We have to remind ourselves that unpleasant also is a reality of life. And we should be willing to well and gracefully accept it like the pleasant. It's a preparedness. In which case, one can remain free from fear. Swami says, who knows when the death will come. So enjoy what you have. Enjoy every day as it comes. Wake up in the morning. Be happy that there is one day now. That's all I have today. Let me enjoy it. So he says, don't quarrel with people. Don't waste that day. Be loving and kind because that's all you have. Imagine you have just one day with you. Use it well. Next day when you wake up, that's one day I have. Use it well. If we use our present well, I think that the future of the death will not remain a consequence. Anyway, abhayam, so we have to observe our mind. Sometimes the mind has just tendency to entertain fear about everything. It's a habit. We address our mind and educate the mind as to and prepare the mind for accepting that which I cannot control. Do what you can to make things comfortable. But regardless of that, there are things that you cannot control. Be willing to accept gracefully. Second is Sattva Samshuddhi purity of mind. <coughs> Next quality. Sattva means mind. Samshuddhi means purity. Sattva Samshuddhi, purity of mind. <coughs> what is the purity of mind? Here, Sankaracharya explains. Purity of mind explained here as this honest behavior. Let there be no fraud, no trickery, no falsehood in the mind. In purity of intentions, Sattvasam Shuddhi, purity of mind, explain this, purity of intentions. 
Let your intentions be pure. Let intentions be honest. We write, my dear friend, let it be, you know, let that, you know, be uh, real, real. Not that outwardly you keep smiling, I love you, and everything else inside something else. So very often, that also is become happy. Love you, I love you. You say that, it's good. But you know, it sometimes becomes mechanical. So purity of intention. It's not easy. Particularly in a society in India, where, where, the, uh, where it's very crowded, where so many people live in the same house, in a place like Bombay, six people may live in one room, there is no such thing as privacy. In a society like India, there's not much privacy. And people don't give you privacy also. They always are there, they can walk into your home at any time, and everybody knows what everybody else is doing, and they always keep watch on you. And they keep asking you also very awkward questions also. What happened? Who came the other day? What was he saying? Why did he come? They always pry into everybody's affair. And so, there's no privacy. But everybody needs privacy. So what people do? They hide their intentions. Outwardly, they act as though everything is fine, but inwardly they have different intentions. Because they know that if they reveal their intentions, then they will be rejected. People will not like them. People will reject them. People will not accept them. Therefore, in order for me to be acceptable to others, to win their approval, because again in a society like India, the approval of society becomes important. Or at least, approval of some people who are important to you is very important. And to get their approval, you behave in a manner which is acceptable to them, whether you are truly that or not. And thus the need to seek approval, the need to be liked by others, the need to be accepted by others, forces me or pressurizes me to behave in a manner which is acceptable or liked by others, whether or not I am truly that or not. And so, I always have a half an inch smile on my face, because that is the norm. I always, when I meet somebody, then I always talk good about them, whether I believe that or not, or whether I really think so or not. So it is really interesting to observe our intentions and see whether we are honest or not. How many things we are saying for the sake of saying? How many things do we write for the sake of writing? How many things we do for the sake of doing to please others? Given freedom, I would not do it, Swamiji. But I feel pressurized to please others, to get approval of others. And this is what makes a person dishonest. Sattva samshuddhi. And therefore, here the <coughs> honest behavior. Yes, Sankaraja explains that, let the mind be free from falsehood or trickery or fraud, cheating, 
appearing different from what I am, creating an impression of the person which is different from what I am. That is the Sattva Samsuddhi, purity of intentions. All of these values are important and we will, we have to become alert and observing our thoughts and tendencies and identify them if they are not in keeping with these values. So let us become aware or conscious about our intentions and see whether we are honest or not. Don't punish yourself if you are not honest. But let there be a value for honesty or purity of intention. That we have, you know, if I value in course of time I will change. I will not seek approval for the sake of approval. Then I will, before you write, my dear friend, meditate for a minute. Let there be a, 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 a tendency of, uh, let there be a, a, a disposition of love, and then you write. You know, make your mind. Invoke the thought of love in your mind, then write. Dear friend, ask whether, do I mean what I write or not? If friendliness is not there, and I still write friend, well, let me wait for a minute. And invoke the friend in me, and then write that. Whenever I behave, I say something. I always want to create an impression in you about me. Let me ask myself whether am I honest or not. <clears throat> it's very important for our own health. Because dishonesty creates conflict. When I think in one way and behave in a different way, it creates conflict in my own mind. There is though there is though a split personality. And by doing that, I'm only hurting my own self. Therefore, getting approval or acceptance by the world is not as important as being honest with myself. In Western society, people don't much care for others. Because here there is freedom, social freedom, economic freedom. That freedom being there, it is not that much necessary to get everybody's approval or look good in the eyes of others. In that sense, you may find the Western society is more honest in their intentions. And they can speak out what is in their mind also because they are ready to face the consequences. I'm not suggesting you do that, but people do that here. Which is another problem, of course, speak out whatever is in the mind, which also can hurt other people. That's another extreme. Not speaking out anything is one extreme. Keeping everything with me is one extreme. And speaking whatever I, you know, feel is another extreme. We should have, in fact, a, 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 you know, you should judiciously decide what is the appropriate thing to do. But in any case, honesty is very important. Honesty to one's own self. Even great bhaktas or devotees, such as Surdas, Tulsidas, if you read their, if you look at their uh, compositions, 
They say that, oh Lord, I don't deserve this. I do not deserve your grace. I am a miserable, I am a wretched person. They think that they are wretched people. We know that they are great saints. But if he finds even the slightest of impurity in the mind, that becomes magnified. He cannot tolerate even a slight impurity. And so also, more our mind becomes pure, a slight impurity will also get magnified. Like when the cloth is white and clean, every stain shows up. The cloth has already so many stains, one more stain doesn't make a difference. But here, therefore, pure sattva samsuddhi, purity of mind, here it means purity of intentions. Because only that mind is conducive for the knowledge of self. It happens that the self is pure by nature. And therefore, knowing the self that is pure, it is necessary that the mind also should be pure. The third is Jnana Yoga Vivasthitihi. Jnana Yoga Vivasthitihi. What is Jnanam? Knowledge or understanding. Understanding that we gain from the scriptures and the teachers. Whatever understanding we gain, even understanding of these values that we gain, yoga is a conscious attempt to make that understanding our own. <clears throat> if I understand what non-violence is, then contemplating upon that and making it my own value. So, this is called yoga. Yoga is chitta ekagrata, concentration of mind. Jnana is knowledge or understanding. So whatever understanding we have, we imbibe that. We make it our own by constantly practicing it or constantly contemplating upon it. In Vedanta, this can be equivalent to Nidhidhyasanam. The meditation that we perform for becoming free from habitual error. For example, we learn from the teachers that I am Brahman, I am, the self is Brahman. But by habit, I find myself being identified with the body and again and again, I am the body. That kind of a tendency arises because of the habit. To remove the tendency and gaining abidance in the knowledge that I am Brahman. Meaning, gaining abidance in whatever knowledge we have. It's called yoga. Jnana yoga, yastiti. A persistence. A persistence in seeking knowledge. A persistence in gaining clarity of the knowledge. And also, a persistence in gaining an abidance in that knowledge. Otherwise, very often we find a phase difference between our understanding and our behavior. Like those parrots on the tree, there are many young parrots. There was an old parrot also. Old parrot saw 
a hunter coming from a distance. And he warned these little parrots. The hunter is coming. Beware of the hunter's net. Hunter is coming. Beware of the hunter's net. So all those parrots started repeating. The hunter is coming. Beware of the hunter's net. Hunter is coming. Beware of hunter's net. They kept repeating. Hunter came. Spread the net. Those fellows got caught in that. And still they are repeating. Hunter is coming. Beware of hunter's net. What it means is that they do not understand the meaning of what they are repeating. And therefore, what they say is not translated in their life. And similarly also, we know many things. But that knowledge does not necessarily get translated. A common complaint. Is this what your Swami has taught you? When you attend a camp like this, or regularly attend the Gita talks, then at home, you are always observed. You have an added responsibility that because you are learning Bhagavad, studying Bhagavad Gita, or listening to Bhagavad Gita, or listening to Vedanta, there is an expectation that that listening or that understanding should reflect in your life. People who do not come here, they have no responsibility. So I never go there. So I'm like that. But you are going there. So you are not supposed to be like this. So this is the... For example, I may have uh, decided I'm not going to use words that may will hurt somebody. I'm going to be careful about words so that I do not hurt others. But soon before we realize, we already say something and hurt the feeling of others. That is called habitual error. Not we do not not that we do not know what pleasant speech means, but habitual error. When the impulse of anger comes, then the resolve is forgotten. This is lack of yoga. What is yoga? Yoga is the practice for removing habitual error. We require two things in our life, jnana and yoga. Jnana means knowledge and understanding, and yoga means translating that understanding in our life by overcoming the habitual error. That is habitual error. Because you have lived life in a certain way. So far I never thought there was anything wrong in getting angry. I thought if you have to get angry, then only things are done. When somebody tells you, you tell him twice, you give him one word, I'll, I'll reply right away. This was my value so far. Tit for tat. After listening to Vedanta, I realized that no, that is hurting me. It's not good. So now I've decided, no tit for tat. Let that person say whatever they are. I'm going to keep quiet. I'm going to forgive. But then that gets forgotten 
when the person says something, my old habit of tit for tat comes up. And I say things anyway. And later on I realize and I regret. That is because lack of alertness. So it is important that we also constantly work on our habitual error. It is not enough that we have understanding. It is important that that understanding gets translated in our life by overcoming the opposite habit, the habitual error. That is called yoga. So yoga is generally meant for overcoming habitual error and jnanam is meant for removing the false notions. We have two kinds of problems. One is the problem obtaining at the level of intellect in terms of wrong or false understanding. Other is a problem obtaining at the level of impulse or habit. So first is jnanam and then yoga. Jnana yoga vyavasthiti. A value. Persistence in the pursuit of knowledge as well as gaining an abidance in knowledge. Here Shankarajari says that these three are the, the primary daivi sampat. Abhayam sattva samsuddhi jnana yoga vyavasthiti. Freedom from fear purity of the mind and persistence in the pursuit of knowledge and abidance in knowledge. These three are the principal divine traits which the people or spiritual aspirants of highest level have. What is now described are also the traits which are of a lower level. These three are the divine traits of the highest level and what now is described are the traits for the middling level or the lower level. <coughs> so next one is dhanam. Dhanam means charity. There should be a value for dhanam or charity in our life. Yathashakti samvibhagaha annadina sharing with the needy what we have. What is dhanama charity? Sharing with those who are needy. Sharing what we have with others who are needy. Yathashakti in keeping with my capacity. Both ways. If I am a millionaire, then sharing a few pennies is not a yathashakti, not in keeping with my capacity. On the other hand, if I only have a few pennies and then sharing dollars also is not yathasakti. Therefore, sharing in keeping with my capacity. Not be very miserly. Not be overly uh, overly spending if it is beyond my capacity. But basically yathasakti means giving in keeping with my capacity, keeping with my riches, with my wealth. <coughs> dhanam. In all the cultures, dhanam or charity is always a value emphasized. Understand that Hinduism also 
emphasize dhanam is a very important value. Charity is an important value. And charity can be in terms of money, in terms of food, clothing. And this charity is built into our life. Traditionally, in our life itself, there are occasions where it is customary to give charity. Like Sankranti, Makar Sankranti, that day right from the morning, the beggars will come, people are sit, they're sitting right at the doorstep and they give as people come. There are days which are earmarked, which are supposed to be very auspicious for charity. There are times, there are places also, like places of pilgrimage, are also considered very auspicious for charity. There are people, certain people such as those who are learned, etc. are also are earmarked for charity. Deshe kalecha patrecha At appropriate time, at appropriate place, to an appropriate person. Datavyam idhyadhanam diyate anupakarane Lord Krishna says that dhanam or charity that is given without an expectation of a return of favor, without an expectation also of earning punya, etc. Usually when we give charity, there is always some kind of a deal. That I give you, and next day you will give me. When they go for these uh, souvenir advertisements and stuff like that, when we bring our souvenir, we go for seeking advertisements. They bring out their souvenir. They come to us seeking their advertisements. It's all right. But it is called charity where this kind of a deal is not there. Ideally, I give without an expectation of return in favor. Anupakarane, <coughs> where I know that the person is never going to return. And then also give, or I have no expectation of return. That is possible only when there is pleasure in giving. If giving itself gives me pleasure, then there is no need for seeking a return of favor. On the other hand, if giving is done without pleasure, under pressure, reluctantly, because others are also doing it, and then, or sometimes people come to you and then uh, pressurize you, you know, to, to give. So when it is then reluctantly, under pressure, or with an expectation of return of favor, it is charity all right, but it is not considered sattvic dhanam, or the highest charity. The highest charity is when it is done without expectation of return of favor, out of pleasure. Datavyam is my pleasure to, to share, it's my pleasure to give. <coughs> This is also a value. <coughs> Damaha. Damaha means self-control. Bahya karana upashamaha. Damaha. Control of the senses is called Damaha. Control of the senses. Control of the organs of perception. Control of the organs of action, that is called Dhamma. 
What is meant by control is that that my organs of action do what I want them to do. Meaning that the organ of speech says what I want it to say. My palate eats what I want it to eat. My legs go where I want them to go. My eyes see what I want them to see. My ears hear what I want them to hear. My hands touch what I want them to touch. When the organs of action and organs of perception do what I want them to do. Often that's not the case because there are impulses in each one of the sense organs. In palate there's an impulse to eat something which is delicious whether it is good for me or not. The eyes want to see things which are pleasing to the eyes, whether it is right or not. The ears want to hear things which are appropriate or not. So one, there is what we call judicious self-restraint. By self-restraint we do not mean that we do starve our sense organs. <coughs> it means that there is a discipline. There are boundaries everywhere and remaining within those boundaries. <coughs> we will draw boundaries everywhere and observing the boundaries. And slowly you can tighten those boundaries as the time goes. As you become comfortable with one set of boundaries, then you can slowly tighten. You gain comfort with that, tighten. You gain comfort with that, tighten. Ultimately the idea is that all our sense organs will become introverts. All these values are told for knowledge and what we ultimately require is that all my organs of perception, all the organs of action should become abiding within the self. There's a prayer, Vedic prayer, that may my speech, my eyes, my ears, my hands, and all the sense organs, may they become conducive for the knowledge. May they become inward looking. May they become abiding. May they become free from impulses. Because impulses, how training the sense organs, to take, you know, draws the mind away. So they in fact distract the mind. If I want to enjoy, a tranquility of the mind, it is necessary that the sense organ should be free from the impulses. Otherwise, you are meditating or doing japa, and part of the mind says, but I want to have a cup of coffee. Or, there is a, there is a cake in the refrigerator, and you know that, so you are waiting, when I, can I finish this, so I can eat that. <laughs> or, there is a show, coming on TV at 8.30 and so the mind is only calculating when that time will come. So such impulses which are there, they disturb our meditation, disturb our prayers, disturb anything that we want to do in the mind. 
Therefore, it is important that our sense organs become free from those impulses. Impulses of seeking material sense gratification. Impulse of seeking gratification. Every sense organ is seeking gratification from pleasurable objects. What we want is that, in fact, the sense organs should find gratification from their own self. And that can only happen when we deliberately and with discipline turn the senses inward by not allowing them to find gratification by controlling them. So my palate says, I want to eat that candy. No, no candy for you until six o'clock, until whatever. Make some, you know, draw a line. Not until this is over. You already had one in the morning, no more today. Or whatever boundaries you have decided for yourself. Let there be boundaries. And let the sense organs be made to conduct themselves within those boundaries. So that progressively they become free from the habitual impulse of seeking gratification from sense pleasures. Dhamma. Tanam damascha yajnascha. Yajna. Yajna means a sacrificial ritual. Here it is said that yajna or the sacrificial rituals should become a daily part of our life. Traditionally, a householder in the Vedic times was required to perform five kinds of yajna or five make five kinds of offerings. The idea is that in whatever, that there are many shareholders in your life. What the Vedas teach is that there are many shareholders in the life. So when a corporation makes profit, it is because the money invested by the stockholders or shareholders. And therefore, that should be first distributed to them and then what remains that you can take. Similarly also, whatever we are earning in our life, many others have their share. The devutas are constantly helping us. They are organs of perception, organs of action, they function. Our parents and ancestors also have done things, given us a body, nurtured, nourished, they also have a share. Other human beings in society also do what they do, then alone we can live our life, they also have a share in my life. Even the animals and birds also have a share, even the plants and trees also contribute in my life. And the rishis, the sages, the teachers, they also contribute in my life by way of contributing to the body of knowledge. So when you look at our accomplishments, we find that there are all these who have contributed to my accomplishments. I cannot claim the ownership of what I, of my, what my income is, but these also are the stockholders and therefore Part of my income should go to them. This is the idea behind performance of yajna or the, the rituals of offering. So let there be offering to devatas, let there be offering to the pitrus, let there be offering to the rishis, let there be offering to the human being, let there be offering to the 
the birds and plants and animals. That's the way householder's life was. So yagna must be value. Not that I do this because I am told to do, it must become my value. In recognition of the fact that it is my pleasure to share, my pleasure to offer. <coughs> or yajna can simply mean worship, worshiping God, and that there be yajna. Or worship also should become a part of my life. Swadhyaya. Swadhyaya is recitation of one's own branch of the Veda. Swadhyaya. Reciting the Vedas. Reciting the scriptures. If not Vedas, reciting something. Reciting God's name. Vishnu Sahasanama. Valita Sahasanama. I don't know whatever. Mahimna Stotra. Reciting essentially the prayers. So, either reciting the Vedas or reciting hymns, reciting prayers, reciting name, but essentially reciting something in praise of Ishvara. That's called Swadhyaya. Swadhyaya actually means recital of the Vedas. Because in the Vedic times, everyone was supposed to study their own branch of Veda. Every child would be sent to Parsala where he would study from the teacher the recital of his branch of Veda. And they say that what you have studied should not be forgotten. If you studied the recital of the Veda and forget it, it's a big sin, it's a great sin. The sin is like Brahmahatya, killing a Brahmana, because Veda also means Brahma. And allowing this recital to be forgotten, ignoring that, is like killing the Veda. It's called Brahmahatya. Therefore, you must keep up with the recitals every day. <coughs> Swadhyaya. So there must be a value for worshipping, there must be a value for reciting the scriptures, reciting Bhagavad Gita. Reciting Upanishads, reciting whatever you are studying, reciting prayers, reciting some stotras, some hymns. Dhanam, Dhamasya, Agnasya, Svahadhyaya, Tapaha, Arjavam will continue tomorrow. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyate Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Gurubhyo Namah Hari Om